Hi, and welcome to Travel Time. Today we're going to be talking about the Gettysburg National Military Park. As we are continuing on on our mother and son road adventure through some battlefields in different cities um, in Pennsylvania and Maryland, our next stop on our road trip was Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We had visited here many years ago when my son was just one year old, and so we were returning. That first trip, he slept through a significant chunk of the battlefield tour. This time, we stayed in the Hilton Garden Inn so we could get an early start together. We booked a private tour guide, similar to on our trip to Antietam, and planned to spend some time at the visitor center before going on the tour to take advantage of the things offered there. The museum and visitor center at Gettysburg is top-notch, and I would say any trip to Gettysburg should really include time to check it out and learn more about the battle and the people involved in the battle. The Visitor Center has a very good bookstore with lots of books to read more about Gettysburg, the Civil War, and participants in the Civil War. It also has the normal tourist souvenirs for the site. Entry into the building itself is free, and so you can get into the bookstore and the building with the cafe, and the. but it does cost additional to go to the museum portion, the film, and the cyclorama. So the National Parks passes are not accepted at the entrance for these areas, so that's important to note if you have an America the Beautiful pass or the Senior pass. This is because this area is sponsored by the Gettysburg Foundation, and so all the costs go through them. You can opt for the museum only for $12.75 for an adult right now or $10.75 for a child. For all three, the museum, the film, and Psychorama, it's $18.75 for an adult and $13.75 for a child right now. Under five are free, and there are discounts, so definitely look into that. Some of the discounts I noticed were veterans, active duty military, seniors, and AAA. I do recommend you can order tickets in advance at the Gettysburg Foundation website, or you can purchase them when you arrive by going to the ticket counter on your right past the bookstore. I will mention that depending on the time of day you arrive, if, if for example, it's right when a lot of people are arriving first thing in the morning or... It's a busy time of day when people are returning from the battlefield and then wanting to go to the museum. The line for the ticket counter can be really long, and there's kind of the wraparound. If you have purchased in advance, you obviously can just kind of walk right in. So that, that's usually what we do on trips, as we did do that again here. You can visit the adjacent site of the Eisenhower home while you're here as well, and you can purchase those shuttle tickets on the same website at the, or at the ticket booth as well. And that just takes you over to where the Eisenhower home is, and then you get a ride back when you're done. If you buy in advance to skip the line, it's gettysburgfoundation.org. You can also reserve on that site a bus tour or a private battlefield guide. Although resources exist to do a self-guided battlefield tour, my recommendation is the individual guide if your group is able to do that. On my first visit to Gettysburg, we did the self-guided auto tour, mostly because we had a one and a three-year-old with us. And we drove through the grounds while listening to the audio. And having just gone to the museum and having lunch, had lunch, the kids slept through most of the auto tour. That was really convenient for us, whereas with a private guide, with us getting in and out of the car, the kids would have obviously woken up and been really crabby. So for where we were at at the time, that worked really well. At the time, we had purchased a CD in the bookstore, which I think you can still do, that tells the history as you go to the stops. But now they also offer it in an app with the same content. For, from what I understand, and that was a great choice if you're in a similar situation where you really, you might not be able to get out of some of the stops or you're just trying to, for whatever reason, your time is limited and you want to go in the order that you want to go in. On that same trip, we also did a visit to the Eisenhower House um, as well as the museum, which at that time was new. We were able to do all three of those things in a day, the battlefield tour with the self-guided 
narration, the Eisenhower House and the museum. We did all three of those on the same day. Having visited twice now, my suggestion would be to allocate two days to the area if you're able or even three especially if you're really interested in history. On both trips with only one day, we weren't able to do all the things that were offered. The first trip, as I mentioned, we were able to do three three of the things by starting early, but also because with the kids asleep during the audio tour, we were limited with time for the audio tour. In our most recent trip, we did not go to the Eisenhower site or the cemetery. You can do a significant amount there in one day, but you're going to miss some of the things if you're doing any of those things with any thoroughness. So just for a guideline, if you're trying to decide how much time to spend. For this trip, we arrived and we're in the next showing of the film narrated by Morgan Freeman right after we got there. So we started at the bookshop until our time came around for the film and then went to our scheduled film. The film is called A New Birth of Freedom. It's done really well. Highly suggest the film. It's well worth the additional fee to see it. It's also a good thing to start with before going into the battlefield itself because it does give kind of an overview. The film lasts about 22 minutes. Just be prepared that it's close to a half hour. We went from there to the Cyclorama painting presentation. This one lasts about 15 minutes. Um, it used to be housed off-site, but they moved it when the new visitor center was built. The painting that's in the Cyclorama is very interesting and depicts Pickett's chart. You have time for only that or the film because you're really limited on, on time. Don't miss the film. The cyclorama is really cool, but the film gives you a better overview of the battle and every the whole battle and not just Pickett's Charge, which will be useful when you go out on your battlefield tour. We had a little bit of time before we met our guide at the information desk, so we went ahead and started touring the museum. The museum is arranged chronologically. It's a great collection of memorabilia and multimedia presentation. I could easily have spent three to four hours in just this area because I'm a big history buff, but today we got to go to about 1862, and then we had to leave the museum to go to the information desk for our tour. There were several benches next to the information desk where you can wait to meet your guide if they have set that up as a meeting place. It seemed like most of the guides were meeting their tour participants here. Our tour was right after they lifted the ban on guides riding along in the car. Um, so during COVID, they had restricted that guides had to ride in a separate car and couldn't ride in the car with them. But that was literally listed days before we got there. Um, so Jim took us through the battlefield chronologically and painted a very vivid picture of the events. Side note, if you get Jim as a tour guide, he is fabulous. Highly recommend him. And by some weird quirk, the guide we had at both of the battlefields we visited were named Jim. So not the same Jim, but both of them were fantastic. Between stops, he shared stories of the battle, setting the scene for the next stop. And then at each stop, we would get out and they would, he would point out key points in the battle that happened in that specific spot and landmarks and things so we could orient ourselves to where things were happening. It really made everything about the battle come to life. We started at the site where John Reynolds fell early in the morning on July 1st, 1863. He fell at around 11 a.m. He was in the middle of deploying the Iron Brigade near McPherson's Ridge. And just a few hours into the battle, he was killed instantly by a bullet to the neck. A memorial stands at that site where he fell. From there, we continued on to Seminary Ridge, where the Union held a defensive line. Meanwhile, on Oak Ridge, during the battle, the Confederates had repulsed the Union and forced a retreat back into town. So as July 1st, 1863 drew to a close, the Union was backing back into the town a bit, and 
It was generally considered a success for the Confederacy on that first day. In spite of the retreat, the Union held strong positions on the high ground south of Gettysburg at the start of day two. We went next to a viewpoint where our guide could point out key parts of the fishhook-shaped defense the Union held on the high ground, extending from Culp's Hill around to Little Round Top. The fishhook positioning combined with strong interior lines allowed for reinforcements to be quickly moved when needed. The line was about three miles long. The Confederates, meanwhile, were spread out and on low ground. Leah decided to focus the first attacks on the left flank and then engage the right at the same time, with Longstreet leading the attack on the left. But due to the Union holding the high ground, especially on Little Round Top, it took a good portion of the day for Longstreet to get in position without alerting the Union. That attack went off a bit later in the day than he had wanted it to. We went next to the Peach Orchard, where this attack began around 4 p.m. on July 2nd against Sickles' forces. Sickles was supposed to be on the south end of Cemetery Ridge, but had moved against Meade's orders to a position to the northwest and higher up. By the time Meade was made aware, it was too late to move back, and Sickles had created a gap in the Union line by doing this. The gap allowed Longstreet to attack on multiple sides. They lost so many men, their unit no longer had fighting strength, and Meade was forced to deploy 20,000 reinforcements to avoid a total collapse of the Union left. Sickles' blunder also left a key position on Little Round Top undefended and the Union had to work to plug the gap before the Confederates took advantage of it. We then headed to the extreme left flank where Joshua Chamberlain and the 20th Maine were ordered by Colonel Vincent to hold the position at all costs. 20th Maine fought fiercely against the 15th Alabama, and when the ammunition ran out, they fixed bayonets and charged down the hill, successfully repelling the rebels. We proceeded on over to Little Round Top. Colonel Vincent, after having given instructions to Chamberlain, had returned to Little Round Top, and stood on a large boulder shouting, don't give an inch to the troops around in the area. Just after saying that, he was shot through the thigh. He was moved to a nearby farmhouse where he ended up dying five days later, and his monument now stands on top of Little Round. We stopped then at Devil's Den, which was a scene of intense fighting between Longstreet's forces and Sickles' division, and then the wheat field, where a few hours of bloody fighting gave it the nickname, the bloody wheat field. Both sides had catastrophic losses there, and although the field changed hands several times, it ended in the control of the Union. We next headed to Culp's Hill, where we visited the spot where Ewell mounted an attack on Union General Green's position. Earlier, Meade had had to send reinforcements out due to Sickles' mistake, and as a result, Culp's Hill was thinly defended. They constructed some strong defensive works and relied on those to help in the defense of the hill. Ewell was able to flank the Union right and occupy the lower part of the Culp's Hill, but strong Union reinforcements helped them hold, helped the Union hold the hill. This fighting at Culp's Hill ended out day two, on July 2nd, 1863, and early the next morning on July 3rd, fighting on Culp's Hill resumed with Confederate General Johnson trying multiple attacks up the hill. But the Union did an excellent job of swapping in fresh troops and repelling those advance. We headed next from here to the site of Pickett's Charge. This was the famous charge across a mile of open ground that basically ended the Gettysburg campaign. In the early afternoon of July 3rd, Lee's plan was to attack the center of the Union line, since both flanks appeared to be very well reinforced in hopes that it meant that the center was not. The Confederate target was a copse of trees in the center of the Union General Hancock's line. The Confederate ranks were about a mile long, and through a series of obliques with the copse of trees as a target, to concentrate their forces, they advanced after a round of heavy artillery fire. Once the Confederates started out, they were under heavy artillery fire during their advance, which decimated their ranks until the once one mile across forces were down to a half mile 
with Pettigrew on the right and Pickett on the left. On the Union side, Hancock was wounded in the thigh, but issued an order he was not to be moved off the battlefield until the engagement was decided. He ended up surviving the war. The Confederates reached the stone with 200 men and General Armistead. They began to fight hand-to-hand combat. General Armistead was mortally wounded during this fight, and the Union reinforcements began arriving. With their leader down, the remaining Confederates retreated, died, or were captured. The rebels had 50% casualties versus the Union's 1,500 casualties. We wrapped up our tour here and then headed back to the visitor center to finish at the museum. We picked up where we had left off and went through the last part of the war. We did not have a chance to go to the cemetery on this particular trip but I felt like the private tour gave us a much more vivid experience for the day and the trade-off was worth it. My son and I then headed out of town for Hershey for the night, um, about a two-hour drive. Our next stop was Hershey Park and Chocolate World for some chocolatey fun before we headed home. We'll have more on that in the next podcast. Until then, happy travels. (laughs) 